Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter, beginning with the 10th verse. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there was a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she was straightened up and she praised God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath free his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When Jesus said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the glorious things that Jesus was doing. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, it's the Sabbath, and Jesus is in a synagogue teaching. We know that at this point in history, a synagogue could be established anywhere ten Jewish men decided to institute one. We know that ancient synagogue services were relatively informal, consisting of some prayers, some scripture, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, some teaching, and receiving donations for the poor. We know that because Jesus was teaching, he was likely seated, the classic posture for a teacher. He'd stand up to read scripture and then sit down to teach. And we know that despite some depictions that some of you may have grown up with, Jesus probably did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. That is what we know. There's plenty we don't know where this synagogue was, who was there with Jesus. And an especially key thing we don't know is what exactly Jesus was teaching about. The author of Luke doesn't say, and none of the other gospel writers even mentioned the story, which invites us to wonder. I wonder if Jesus was teaching from the book of Isaiah. After all, Isaiah is surely Jesus' favorite prophet. Maybe Jesus was teaching from Isaiah chapter 58, which we just heard Bill read from. I tell you, if you want to spend time with some important, challenging ideas and stunningly beautiful imagery, spend time with Isaiah 58. Just listen to this. God will make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden. Two completely unrelated images that come together to give me goosebumps. Isaiah continues, you shall be called the repairer of the breach. You know, the one who mends what has been broken. The repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to live in. What a calling that would be. 
If you do read Isaiah 58, check out different translations because there's this important Hebrew word used in here that's hard to capture in English. The word is nephesh, and it means something along the lines of life or breath or soul or self. It's also this right here. This choir is your nephesh. Think about it, how necessary it is to breathing, to eating and to drinking. It's crucial to communicating, whether you're speaking or singing, and it's structurally critical. I mean, it attaches your head to your body, your organs of thinking and seeing and hearing with your limbs of doing and moving. It's also incredibly vulnerable. You can't press on your nephesh without feeling it. In our excellent go-to translation of the Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, Isaiah 58, starting in verse 10, reads, If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy the needs in parched places. Nice. Well, in that one and a half verses, the word nephesh, life, breath, soul, self, nephesh, appears three times. If you offer your nephesh to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted nephesh, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your nephesh in parched places. In God's economy, you give your nephesh to those in need, and you find you are led by God who will satisfy your nephesh. Isaiah then segues to address the Sabbath, the day God set aside as holy. If you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord. So, Isaiah 58 expresses God's desire that we should share our very self with those in need, and links that with God's desire that we observe the Sabbath by focusing not on our own priorities, but on God's priorities. Basically, what matters most to God is that we live the Sabbath and every day, worshiping God by attending to those in need. And that's why I can't help wondering if Jesus might have been teaching on Isaiah 58 as he sat there in that unnamed synagogue on that long ago Sabbath day, teaching by memorably breaking the rules in order to demonstrate, incarnate the idea that what matters most to God is that we live every day worshiping God by attending to those in need. That's quite a lesson to teach. Now, when Jesus is teaching, he often teaches through parables, telling those weird little stories that seem to be about something every day, but are also about something infinitely beyond the everyday. Those weird little stories characterized by extremity and extravagance. Weird little stories that feature some surprising twist of reversal that disrupts 
expectations and unsettles us. That is so, Jesus. No wonder parables are Jesus' favorite teaching tool. He's been telling parables before today's episode, and he'll tell parables immediately after it. But here, Jesus enacts a parable. I want you to see this. A woman, not merely hunched or stooped, but the word Luke uses connotes she's bent double, folded over so that everything about her life is curtailed. Do you see the extremity of a parable? She is noticed by this man occupying a position of respect who stops what he is doing in the synagogue, calls to her, and with the touch of his healing hands and the sound of his liberating words, he heals her. Do you see the extravagance of a parable? She responds by praising God, which is precisely what she and we should do on the Sabbath, yes, and also every time we experience the goodness of God. Instead of staring at the dirt, she's standing tall, praising God. Perfect parable reversal. And then, of course, it's the leader of the synagogue who gets Sabbath all wrong. There's the twist. And the parable's power to unsettle? Well, it's felt in that synagogue, but it's also here with us. I certainly feel it. Do you? I feel unsettled because I can't do what Jesus does. I can't just heal with a touch and a word, which means that if I notice broken and discarded people, see bent over people as Jesus does, risk speaking to them as Jesus does, fully acknowledge that they exist, well, that's a lot messier and more difficult than spending the Sabbath just dressing up and coming to church. Because if I fully acknowledge that they are there in hospital emergency rooms or in underfunded schools, in refugee camps in Bangladesh or in migrant detention centers on our nation's border, if I know that children of God bent double by life are really there, and I know that what matters most to God is that I worship God by attending to those in need, then I can't be satisfied with standing here behind the pulpit or standing behind the table or standing behind the font. As important as these features and their functions are, as much as I love them, I'd be ignoring Isaiah and Luke. I'd be ignoring Jesus if I let myself think that this is enough. As one theologian put it, religious rules and rituals, no matter how sacred, are secondary to addressing human suffering in our midst. No matter how long our prayers, how eloquent our preaching, how large our offerings, if we fail to notice those bent double in our congregations, community, and world, if we neglect to ease all that weighs them down, then we, like that synagogue leader, are hypocrites who ultimately will be put to shame. So if you're like me and you tend to think, 
we're here and it's nice. Can't that be Sabbath? Well, evidently not. That just doesn't come anywhere near offering your nefesh to the hungry or satisfying the needs of the afflicted nefesh. That's why I am grateful, church, that God is with us in this. Yeah, we have to do some messy, difficult stuff. Sometime, ask our youth to tell you about their mission trip. But God is with us in the effort. Remember, God will make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden. And when you keep the Sabbath in God's way, then you shall take delight in the Lord. I have some confidence that we're not all here only for the easy, tidy stuff. And one example of that for this particular morning is this. For Ash Wednesday last March, Emma and I arranged to be at the preschool during drop-off and pick-up times, available to impose ashes on the forehead of any teacher or parent who was interested. Katie Watts contacted us, asking if it would be appropriate for her to bring four-year-old Finley, and I confess that possibility had not entered my mind. Katie shared how she'd explain the meeting to Finley, and I sure hope I wrote that down because it was way better than I could have said it. And so Katie and Finley came in early that morning, and Emma and I put ashes on their foreheads. Finley, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And then two days later, Katie went into labor, which is not really cause and effect. <laughs> but it does bring us to this day when we baptize Finley's baby brother, Augie. In a few minutes, Emma will ask Katie and Alex if, relying on God's grace, they promise to live the Christian life and teach that challenging faith to their children. And Stephanie Libby, on behalf of Session, will ask you if you promise to guide and nurture Augie by word and deed. And Bridget Ryan will ask the children if they will learn with Augie about God who calls us out of our comfort zone. And in each case, I confidently predict that we will blithely answer yes. And we will mean it because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are good people who want to be good disciples. And so we will again accept the challenge articulated by Isaiah and enacted by Jesus that what matters most to God is that we live the Sabbath and every other day worshiping God by attending to the needs of those in need. We will not succeed perfectly. And yet, because being together in worship helps form us as a community focused on the inbreaking reign of God, we will joyfully welcome Augie into this family of faith that seeks to be the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in, a community that may yet give its very nefesh 
to the world that God so loves. Amen.